Good morning, everybody. I had told on uh, last week, I think it was, that I wouldn't speak today, and I'm not going to say but just a couple of words. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read a few scriptures in Romans chapter 10. I asked him this morning, um, do you remember your trip to Calvary? How many of you can say, I remember when I came to the Lord? I remember coming to him and how precious that time was. I certainly do. I've told it before. I was eight years old. As a matter of fact, I, I've been in this church since I was two or three weeks old as an infant and have had multiple wonderful Sunday school teachers, pastors, everybody that, that I could have made a public uh, declaration of salvation before, and yet the time the Holy Spirit pricked my heart was at religious education on a Thursday at Mrs. McMillan's garage that she had set up to be a little church for all the children who wanted to come to get out of class to go to religious education when I was eight years old. And I will always remember the presence of the Lord was so strong. And she said, does anyone want to give their heart to the Lord? And I raised my hand, the greatest day of my life, truly. If you read, if you turn to Romans 10, I want to read, starting at verse 5, and I'm only going to read a few verses, but I think we'll understand why we're reading these verses just before we go into the presentation of, um, of Jean in just a few minutes. For Moses writes that the man who practices, can I stop just a moment? I got a new Bible. It's really thin. <laughs> it's really lightweight. I can hold it with one hand. And I'm not, uh, I'm not fully used to it yet, but this is a New American Standard Bible. And the reason I got this is because I've, I've read a lot about it, and it says that the New American Standard has been produced with the conviction that the words of Scripture as originally penned in Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek were inspired of God. Since they are the eternal word of God, the Holy Scriptures speak with fresh power to each generation to give wisdom that leads to salvation that men may always serve Christ to the glory of God. I love that in this scripture. And it's, it goes on to say that it, it is that this particular uh, this particular version of the scripture is most closely based on the original. So I've enjoyed reading it. So if you hear a few things that are different, I wanted you to understand why. Okay, we'll start over at verse 5. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, 
to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? Amen. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We need to speak it. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I believe King James says, ashamed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. I wanted to read that. I thought it was beautiful. And I think it is a good segue to get into the uh, mission's uh, missions presentation this morning, and we'll take the offering once it's done. It's about a 30-minute presentation, and I hope you do enjoy it. And if you have any questions when, we're, when it's over, feel free to ask them. That's perfectly fine. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity for us to share a little bit about who we are and what we do and a little bit about why we do that. Uh, it's a true honor to be with you in whatever way the Lord allows. And it would only be better if we were there in person with you, but we will be thankful for the technology that allows us to be there in this way. And it's a true honor to get to share with you today for a few different reasons. And one of them is given the history of, of Calvary Temple having started in 1930. And, you know, I read a little bit about you guys on the website and a little bit about your history and it sounds like you started with a group of families and it from what I hear and from what I can gather um, and from what I have heard in the past it sounds like you're still a family and that is an accomplishment and so what an honor and then on a personal level it's another honor that as I think about sharing with with Calvary Temple this morning I think about this is the church where my family is at and how I miss you guys but that brings a, 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 to another personal level of what a privilege to share with you guys today. And I do want to share about the ministry that Inga and I have with Greater Europe Mission as we serve in Sweden. But first, I want to share from God's Word, because it's all about Him anyway. And everything we do and all that we are is, is really for His glory. So we'll take a, take a moment and read from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And that's where I want to begin today. This says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, I, I love to hear God's word. I love to just absorb, just reflect, and, and, and to hear the message that Jesus gives us. 
And, you know, usually when I hear God's word, it encourages me, it inspires me to do something. And whether it's reading more, going deeper, or going and talking to somebody about it, or writing. I do a lot of writing, so I like to teach through writing also, and it always inspires me to do something. But there's caution in that. We don't want to just do things to be busy. And sometimes I might find myself just doing things to be busy and checking them off a list, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that with Jesus' command here. So we we need to resist that busyness. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter that faith without works is dead. And that brings a second word of caution, which is we don't want to be about works, thinking that it will produce or increase our faith in some way, but we want faith that will generate fruitfulness. And that's the, that's the end goal. That is, that, is, that is what I'm aiming for when I read these words that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, which means faith brings action. And action brings us to these familiar words of Jesus. It's a very familiar verse to many, um, but let's call these words what they are. These are marching orders. These are, the, these are very similar to the orders that a commander or a general would give his army, his good soldiers. And catch this verse. Let's go back to that passage and let's catch how much action is filled in this verse. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. These are all action. You can't do those things without, without that action. And look how he begins. All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. You know, we don't operate in, the, in our own strength or in our own power. We go therefore in the power of the Holy Spirit because, because in our flesh we're, we don't stand much of a chance. But in Christ, all things were made. All things were made in him. All things were made through him. All things were made for him. And this, this is what helps this become our marching orders. And I know some of you military men or women, some of you who are really interested in history may be familiar with the word opening salvo. An opening salvo, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is a firing of several guns at the same time, either in a war or a ceremony. And this was, is what signifies the, begin of the, the beginning of the battle. It could also be an opening salvo could be used in a statement in, ex, in an exchange of opinions, such as his opening salvo in the debate sparked a war of words. Jesus Christ's opening salvo is delivered in all authority, and we find that authority all through Scripture. Most notably, that stands out is in Philippians 2.9. And here's, here's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And he's illustrating to them the authority, the deity, the, the everything that is in Christ. And, and here Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This authority, Christ's authority, and the weight of his words and his call to action from Matthew 28 means that his great commission has indeed become our marching orders. Here's how one of my colleagues illustrated this great commission. I had the opportunity to learn from a gentleman named Steve Shadrach. 
some years ago. Steve is uh, the head of the Center for Mission Mobilization. And early in, in our career, early in our journey, we had the opportunity to, to just learn from Steve in different ways. And here's what Steve wrote. You and I have been enlisted in a much bigger battle than any country has ever fought. As good soldiers of Christ Jesus, we have embraced the great conflict of the ages, the clash between God and Satan, the eternal struggle over the souls of every man and woman on earth. This invisible, behind-the-scenes spiritual war has eminently more far-reaching consequences than any man-made one. Steve finishes this thought and concludes it by saying, enrolling in his army means Jesus Christ is our commanding officer and make disciples of all nations our marching orders. And that, that is where we get the idea of other than this is a command of Christ to go and make disciples and teach them and baptize them. It becomes, it becomes a part of who we are, not just as missionaries, not just as churches, but as believers, as people who follow Jesus day in and day out. We're involved and we are, you are a part of this, a part of this battle, a part of this mission. Another colleague of ours is a fellow missionary who served in Spain for many years, Dave, Dave Gallagher. And Dave highlights the perilous part of this journey. Uh, Dave is no stranger to, um, to the heartbreak, to the cost of following Jesus. Um, and when we first met Dave, he had recently lost his first wife uh, to breast cancer. And when we last saw Dave years later, his second wife had been diagnosed with the same. Dave is no stranger to the cost of this journey. And what Dave says is what we're doing is far more important than anything we have to go through to get there. I understand that to mean that the Lord just doesn't issue us marching orders. He doesn't just give us a command. He, commend, he, he, he equips us. And he starts with the early church in Acts. And as I think about Dave Gallagher's words, about whatever we have to go through to get there, I don't see Dave as referring to the here and the now. I see him referring to eternity. Whatever we have to go through to get there is going to be worth it. So in Acts 1.8, this is what I like to call the equipping call. If Matthew 28 is the command and it's the what we're supposed to do. I feel like Acts 1.8 is how he equips us and tells us how we're going to do it. And here, Luke writes, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. We try to use this as an example of where we should be involved in spreading the love of God. And this is, this is for all of us. Jerusalem is local. It's where you live. It's where you're involved every day. Every believer is called to, 
to be a witness for Christ, to be a missionary at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your local community, because you're representing God to the world around you. Jerusalem is your local. Judea, Samaria, they're local, but they're not part of your everyday life. These are the places where you might be involved or invested in county or statewide endeavors that further the work of God and his kingdom. And then some of God's followers, not many and not all, but some of us are called to go to the ends of the earth. Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long, but some of us are called. And there's a catch. The Great Commission, and I don't mean to <laughs> take the words of Christ and compare them to something as simple as athletics or sports. But the Great Commission is a team sport. There should not be any spectators. Nobody should be sitting on the sidelines watching what's going on. We're all involved. Whether local or far, we are all involved. Whether on our knees praying for people groups or for missionaries in far off places or going ourselves or sending someone. The Great Commission isn't the great suggestion, is what I like to say. It's a command. It's a command that Jesus gave his church. And he gave to us. And you know, you as a willing sender, if that's what you're called to do, you can't send if somebody's not willing to go. And the goers can't go if somebody's not willing to send. So speaking of willingness, like I said, I've read a little bit about your history. And I've heard in conversations in the past about... Um, your family presence and and um, and I watch your videos online by the way and and I see your worship and your teaching and and there is a willingness in your in your church in Calvary Temple there is a willingness and what I see of you is I see that you're reaching up and you're loving God I see that you're reaching out and you're loving people and I also see that you're reaching in and you're loving one another. We cannot do what you do for your church because we're not there. We cannot do for your community where you're at. And at the same time, we cannot do what we're called to do unless we're all, unless we're all together. And together, the Great Commission happens. The Great Commission becomes possible because Jesus isn't looking for Lone Rangers. He's looking for people to stand together, to hold the ropes for one another. And let me illustrate with just a few scriptures how I see that you are doing these things, reaching up, reaching out, and also reaching in towards one another. The fuel required to fulfill the Great Commission is to love God and to love others. And I want to illustrate that with a few verses, starting with Nehemiah. If we go back to Nehemiah, here's a guy who is part of the captivity, and he's got an interesting job. He is the cupbearer to the king who's holding Israel in captivity. And his job is to take a drink of anything that the king is going to drink, be it wine or whatever, usually wine so that if there's anything wrong with it, it's going to affect Nehemiah before it affects the king. It's, a, it's an insurance policy for, for the king. So here's Nehemiah, and in the, in the presence of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, you were not permitted to be in his presence with any emotion. Um, 
So here's Nehemiah. He shows up to work one day and he's downcast. He's sad. He's heartbroken. And it shows. He can't hide it. So what does the king do? Apparently there was some kind of a bond or some kind of an appreciation between these guys because the king didn't respond in the way that he could have. He said, hey, Nehemiah, what is going on? I've never seen you like this before. And Nehemiah tells him, my homeland is broken. The walls are in ruins. My father's graves are overturned. Everything's in ruins and it's a mess. And he's th Nehemiah is thinking about the remnant of people who were left behind during the captivity. And Artaxerxes the king says to Nehemiah, so what do you want to do about it? What is your request? Here's Nehemiah's response. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah. This is an example of reaching out, reaching out to the broken, to the remnant, to those who have been left behind. A second example comes from Luke chapter eight. And this is where Jesus is active in his ministry. And here it says, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager. Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Here is an example of those who were reaching up and loving God. Those who surrounded Jesus, who supported his work, who supported the work of the disciples, who provided the care, who were holding the ropes of this ministry, were reaching up and loving God to take that message to the towns, to the villages, to the hurt and the lost. And two more, they kind of go together and they're both from Philippians. Here's uh, the church in Philippi. We know that this was actually the first church that Paul planted on the European continent. It was in Macedonia. And this was the first church and the only church, as Paul puts it, to have been his partners in um, providing support for Paul's ministry. So Paul writes to this church in Philippi, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And again in chapter 4, he writes, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. So apparently the church in Philippi had renewed their care for, for Paul, most likely when he was in prison. But the but the real truth to this is, this is Paul, this is the church in Philippi, reaching in, loving one another, providing and holding the ropes for one another so that the ministry could continue. And these are, these are the ways that we love God, we love the lost, we love each other, and the Great Commission can be accomplished both near and far. It's also true that we can't all stay in one place. We can't all go either, because if we go, who will be left for the remnant like in Nehemiah's day? 
You know, author and pastor Francis Chan said it this way. He said, it's true that God may have called you to be exactly where you are, but it is absolutely vital to grasp that he did not call you there so that you could settle in and live your life in comfort and superficial peace. Friends, the communities all around us, towns, cities, nations, we don't have to look very far. We know that this world is hurting. We know that this world is broken. And so we have the marching orders of the Great Commission. What is our role in all of this? How do we do this? Is it just a matter of praying and sending? That's a start, and that's a part of it. And that's a very important ingredient in it. But at the end of the day, our role, your role, my role, is obedience. And that's simple as that. It's obedience to what he has called each one of us to do. God is ultimately the one who is doing the calling. He is the one who's doing the equipping. He's the one who is sending people out into the harvest. He is the one who is providing all of the resources necessary to do the work. Our role is simply obedience to what he has called us to do. And that brings us to a few words I want to share about why we're in Sweden. Why Sweden? You know, we, we asked that same question when we had left Eastern Europe. In Eastern Europe, we saw a whole different world. We saw a place where you're not allowed to plant churches, where you're not allowed to uh, share the gospel in, in an open, in an open uh, way. You're not allowed to baptize people. Um, so we had left a, a place like that, knowing that God had released us from that work. And the work that we had done there continues to this day. But because it wasn't the work we did with our own strength and hands, God has equipped those pastors in that country to carry that work on. So we know that God was releasing us from there, but we know also he wasn't releasing us from that continent, from the European continent. So through lots of prayer, lots of counsel, lots of seeking, we had narrowed it down to a few different places. And one of our supervisors, one of our leaders, he had come to us and asked us, why not Sweden? And we thought, why in the world would you send us to Sweden? Um, and then we visited Sweden. And we met with various people, various pastors. Some of their, some of them would, would, would shock you and break your heart, that they would even call themselves pastors. And others of them would shock you and break your heart as to what they're dealing with and, and how they're trying to go about God's work. But we met a, a gentleman named Stefan. And Stefan was, um, is one of the leading theologians in Sweden, one of the leading Swedish theologians. And we asked Stefan that same question. Stefan, why Sweden? What purpose do outsiders like us have in a country like yours, where we look around and people are comfortable and we see churches, we saw buildings at least. And Stefan told us that he gave us the history of the Swedish church and how in the mid to, mid to late 1800s, the Swedish people under persecution from what was the state church massively migrated to America and there was a famine involved at the same time. And so they left. Uh, a large population of Sweden left in the 1800s and came to America. But when they got to America, they started planting churches starting on the East Coast and working their way all across the top portion of our country. And today you see in Iowa and Minnesota and Nebraska and Kansas, 
all kinds of examples of, of a Swedish presence from the 1800s. But what that did to Sweden was, as Stefan put it, it left a spiritual vacuum in that country where the, at the turn of the century from the 1890s into the early 1900s, humanism swept in and replaced with the church left behind. And that comes from Germany and France and from the rest of the continent of Europe. Um, a lot of atheism and humanism came at that time. So Stefan told us, not in a future tense that if something doesn't happen, the Swedish church will collapse. Stefan said the Swedish church is dead and we need outsiders to bring conviction back. And that was a wake up moment for us. And that's when we started asking instead of why Sweden, where in Sweden? And then we were led to a gentleman in the far north of Sweden. And in the far north of Sweden, we, we live in a very small town and we are part of a mountain station, sort of a hostel, youth hostel. A lot of hikers and skiers come through throughout the year and they use this place as a hostel. Well, in the 1800s, this location was an outreach post to reach the native Sami people of the Arctic North, reindeer herders. And, um, and then in the 1950s, fast forwarding, it became a youth camp. And then it is now today a hostel um, with a very traditional Christian background and it houses a Bible school. And that's what we were called to. And we heard that this man had been asking for help for 10 years. And we wondered why in the world hasn't anybody responded in 10 years? Well, it could be timing and it could be many things, but we said, why not? Let's do it. Let's go. So that's where we serve. And that's why Sweden and Sweden is, um, well, let me back up to, um, to what's going on in Europe as a continent. The, Theological Seminary at the Center for Global Christianity published a report that they did from 2000 till 2020. And they, they analyzed 20 years of disciple-making movements around the world. What they discovered was that every day over those 20 years in Africa, on the African continent, nearly 38,000 new Christ followers were added every day for 20 years. In Latin America, the number is just under 17,000. And in Asia, just over 13,000 new Christ followers every day for 20 years. In North America, that number drops to about 2,000. And in Europe, the entire European continent, that number is eight. In Europe, the church has been in decline for centuries, um, for at least the last century, and in need of a true gospel presence, as Stefan told us, the conviction is gone. Europe is the most influential, yet the least evangelized region on earth. And Europe is also the most strategic continent for the gospel. If you reach Europe, you can change the world. Why? Why is that? Well, in Sweden, we not only have the native Swedes who are embroiled and embraced atheism and humanism, but we have the world coming to Sweden from parts of the world that we cannot get to. Afghanistan, um, the Middle East, Persia, Iran, North Africa. And these people are coming not only to Sweden, but to the entire European continent. That makes Europe a very strategic location for the gospel. And so 
That is why we serve in Sweden. That is how we got there. And uh, Hemavan is the name of the town we live in. Year round, we might have 300 or so residents. But in high seasons, during either hiking in the summer or skiing in the winter, that number can swell to thousands. And, and in, in our region, this is where we live, in our town, we have no gospel community. There is no gospel, there is no gospel community. Even among the believers in our town, there is no gospel's community. Um, we have offered it to the believers and let me, let me just say that Sweden is known to be the, the least responsive, the most resistant people group to the gospel, is what I was told. Well, it stands true even among believers. They're quite resistant. Even among the believers, they're also quite resistant, even to gathering. But that's where we live, and, and, and we're actually excited to be in a place like that. We really are. What, what are we excited about? We're excited about sharing the love and the truth of God in any way we can. And we're looking to return to Sweden very soon. Uh, we also feel a leading by the Holy Spirit to return in a whole different way than what we've ever been before. Given the last few years, what we've all experienced, what we've all been through, we want to go even more so reliant upon the Holy Spirit, even more dependent upon Him for what He will do. And we're looking to Him to do a miracle work in Sweden, among the Swedish people, among the immigrants, however He sees fit to do it. We just want to be there and to just play whatever small role He gives us to play in it. We're excited to get back there with a different mentality and more urgency for the gospel. And what do we need to do that? We need your prayers. We need your prayers. It is a very dark place, um, spiritually speaking, and, and even socially. It is a very dark place. Even within the church communities, it's a dark place. We need your prayers. We need to be covered. We need people holding the ropes behind us as we go. And that's the number one thing that we need. And we also need help getting back. Um, things like airfare and and once again, relocating back to that location as we've been here for a time. It's, it's not an insurmountable task, but it's, it's, it needs to be covered. And so we need that as well. We know that we don't go in our own strength. We know that we, know that we have the prayers of His people behind us. And, and uh, because of that, we go. Thank you for allowing us to share with you today. Thank you for praying. And, oh... How I wished we were there in person, but we will take whatever technology the Lord gives us and we will be excited to be there in any way that we can. We love you as God's people. We love one another. We want to reach in. We want to know how we can further pray for you as a community. So don't hesitate to email, reach out, ask for our information. You can have our updates, but we also want yours. We want to know, how can we pray for you? Thank you. Thank you for the time. And one day we hope to see you. God bless you in his, in his, actually, I just want to pray. I just, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share with your children, with your people, with your church. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word, to share what part we all play 
in the commission that you have given us and the command that you have given us to go. Thank you for the technology that brings us together when we're far apart. And Lord, I just pray that as Calvary Temple continues to reach up to you and to reach out to a hurting world and to reach in to love one another, that you would empower them by the presence of your spirit and that you would keep your mighty hand upon them in all authority. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We worship you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It was certainly heartfelt on his part. He's a very reserved and quiet kind of guy. But he was thrilled to death to get to speak to you this morning. And I felt confident in what he would say, comfortable in what he would present. And I felt very supportive of his work and why he's going to Sweden. The, the question that he asked, why Sweden? I think we could all ask that same question. It's such a progressive country, but it's spiritually completely dark, and that's the reason why. So if you have an offering ready, we would, uh, we would love to take that offering, and as I said, the church will match that. I hope to at least be able to uh, assist with the airfare. I understand that airfares have doubled what they were before uh, COVID, and airlines are trying to make up what they lost during that period of time, so I know it's a daunting task. I also know that they have learned to do without. They are not a uh, presumptuous couple at all. They are very simple very down-to-earth people, and they'll be thankful for whatever it is that the Lord provides. Father, I just ask right now that your presence would rest upon this offering itself, Lord, that you would lead and direct every dollar that is given to meet needs, very real needs, Lord, of very real people who need to know your loving kindness and your salvation, as we read in Romans 10. This is the word of faith. Oh God, it's what we proclaim. It's what we believe in our hearts and it's what we want them in Sweden to hear and know and understand what you've done for them. And I ask that you bless every single giver this morning, Lord. Bless them for their time. Bless them for their patience. Bless them for listening, Lord. And bless them abundantly for giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Claire and Evan, would you mind collecting this offering as well? I told the kids they... they it's okay, you can go ahead. We already prayed. We, yeah. I told the kids on the way to church this morning, I've had the privilege of having them this weekend. They worked with me in the house doing some things, and they were such a great help. But I told them next week we'll have communion. We, we skipped this month because we had it late the month before, 
because it worked out that way for the for the message and next Sunday we will definitely have communion and I told him the Bible says that Jesus words were when you do this do it in remembrance of me and I want to remember him will you stand this morning thank you again for being here I love every one of you appreciate you so very much Father, go with us today. I pray that you would make the way easy of each one. God, keep your hand upon Sister Watson and her health today, Lord. And I pray that you would, that you would shed that rain, oh God, that you control. It is in your hand and in your power, Lord. Shed it upon our hearts and shed it upon our land, O oh God, as we continue to praise and worship your name. And we give you thanks and praise. Amen and amen.